Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. So we're going to be continuing our series called Vintage as we explore these Old Testament heroes and look at their lives and the things that they have taught us some thousands of years ago that we still can put into practice today. Last week, as we began to round third base, um, Larry introduced a series that we're going to do inside of the vintage of finishing up by looking at the judges. We remind you that these judges, they took place about a thousand years before Jesus. The Israelites, they were divided into 12 different tribes. And they had this idea that they could be governed by judges. Now, they knew that God, he was the king, and God had given them the law, and God was the ultimate ruler, and they thought to themselves that they could just have these judges come in and help them manage themselves, and maybe every so often help them to protect them. It was a great idea, but it didn't always work, because there were all kinds of problems. I've talked about it for years. Larry gave us a visual of it, this idea of this cycle of sin that is so prevalent through the books of the book of Judges and the judge's life. But in my view, it's really prevalent throughout all of the Bible and even still today, where people come and they have a relationship with God and then they become disobedient. To God, which leads to absolute disaster. And it drives them to call out to God for help. You know, in many ways today, we still do this. We do it in this way. We try to do things on our own, don't we? Let's be honest with it. We try to figure it out, and we try to work through it in our mind, and we try to find all of the different things, and then all of a sudden we go, I can't do this alone. So what do we do? We cry out to God, and we call out to him, and we say, God, help me. God, be with me. God, help me overcome this, and God is always there. Today in our series, we're going to back up a little bit from where Larry was last week, and we're going to meet the fifth judge. His name is Gideon. You guys have probably heard some of the story, but I have to be honest with you. You know, even as a preacher, as a minister for over 30 years, as I began to look at Gideon's life, I had forgotten some of the things that Gideon went through. So today, we're going to, we're going to unpack Gideon's life together. Now, just like last week, I have to admit, today's a little bit of an R-rated sermon series. We're going to talk about some things that really aren't always talked about from the pulpit, because that's what was taking place in this cycle of sin that the Israelites were in. 
the Midianites, they were descendants of Abraham's and his second wife. We read about the Midianites in Numbers chapter 25, where we understand that the Midianites, they come into the Israelite camp, and they try to intersect with them. They try to make their two religions intersect together and intertwine. And so there is a Midianite woman and there is an Israelite man that are murdered. Now, we need to understand this Midianite woman was actually the daughter of one of the Midianite leaders. And she was sent by her father to the Israelite camp to basically seduce this Israelite man and to form their religions together through sex and things of that nature. But God, he saw what was happening. And God called out and he commanded that the Israelites view the Midianites as their enemies. But what we often see happen, the people of God, they got lackadaisical. And they allowed the Midianite religion to begin to become a part of who they were. Now, let's be honest, they still worshipped God. They still believed in God. They still saw God as God. But they liked some of the things that the Midianite religion called them to do. And for seven years, the Midianites oppressed the Israelites. That's where we come in Judges chapter 6. The Midianites had been oppressing the Israelites, so much so that the Israelites were often hiding in caves to stay away from the Midianites. The Midianites, they destroyed the Israelites' crops, not just their crops, but then they began to destroy the Israelites' livestock. They were plummeting everything for the, from the Israelites. And then, in chapter 6 of the book of Judges, we begin to read that a swarm of locusts came. And this swarm of locusts began to destroy everything that the Israelites had that the Midianites didn't take from them. And in comes Gideon in the midst of all of this. Now, let's be honest. This is probably one of the shortest times where the Israelites were being consumed by a group of people. You know, they were used to years of people trying to plunder them. And this was a short time. But they began that cycle, and they started to call out to God and to cry out for him. Now, to understand Gideon, we have to do a lot of reading from the book of Judges. So I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, open them up, whether it's a, a, a Bible like mine or on your app, turn to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to begin to look. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. Here's what we read. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you, and I gave, them, I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. <coughs> Excuse me. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. How often is it that we grow through things like that? We cry out to God, but yet we still make the same wrong choices after wrong choices after wrong choices. But I want to tell you a truth. God always hears our cry. And God always responds in some unique ways. When the prophet didn't help the Israelites, God sends a judge. I like what one commentator says about this text. He said it this way. God always desires to treat the symptoms and the disease. God is a God who doesn't just try to say the platitudes to make us feel good or to make us feel like he's there. God gets involved and God tries to change our hearts and our minds. Listen to what goes on in chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak tree in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Well, let's pause for just a minute. I think it's important to understand that God came to meet needs. And God comes in and he begins to talk to Gideon. Now, a lot can be said about Gideon. We're going to understand a little bit more about him in a few verses. But one of the things that I think is important, Gideon's a little bit of an ingenious person because he is threshing the wheat in the wine press hidden down in the bowels of the cave. You know why he's doing that, don't you? To try to hide from the Midianites. To try to keep what God had given to them. He was there so that the Midianites wouldn't take it away. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? I think that's an interesting question. Because here are the people, the Israelite people, that continue to cry out to God, who continue to try to worship God, but continue to try to do it their way instead of God's way. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength. You have saved Israel out of Midian's hand. I am, am I not sending you? Pardon me? Lord Gideon replied, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I have the least in my family. The Lord answered 
I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. In many ways, Gideon begins to sound a little bit like Moses, doesn't he? Uh, wait a minute, God. Time out. Help me understand this. Here come the excuses. My clan is the weakest. Gideon came from that group in Israel who was the weakest clan. They were considered the weakest clan for two reasons. One, they were the smallest clan. But secondly, it was because of their occupation. They weren't viewed as the um, big industrial kind of clan. They were the farmers, the shepherds. And so in that day and age, sometimes they were viewed as weak. And Gideon, he was the least in the family. You know what that meant. He was the young one. He was kind of the end. He was still at home, and everybody else was out doing the thing. But I think even though he had excuses, God teaches us something. God is always about using the underdogs and the weakest links. Think about it for just a minute. You remember Noah? Noah, as he was called out by God to build an ark, and everyone came to Noah, and many of the people that came as Noah were building the ark and said, what do you need a boat for? What's a boat even used for? Before they said that, people said, who is Noah? Nobody knew him. Think about it. Moses, the man who had all sorts of excuses, the man who really had no family to rest upon. Think about Joseph, who was thrown out from his family by his siblings and sent away to be sold as a slave. Or Nehemiah, we talked about him for several weeks. He was a cupbearer. He had risen in the king's house, but really, he wasn't a leader. God's plan is always to find the gifts and the abilities in people and use them for the betterment of others. I think that's important for us to remember because so often we sit around and we think to ourselves, how can God use me? We have the mindset of I can't because, and we give excuse after excuse after excuse. But God says, I can because I created you in a unique way. So Gideon, he calls out to God with all of these excuses, and then he realizes, God's going to use me. And so he asks for a sign. Listen to what he says. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. I have to wonder, this is just Brian wondering for a minute, if that little interchange there was Gideon kind of going, please don't leave. Really, I hope you do, you know? And then the angel says, oh, I'll wait. And Gideon goes, oh, darn, I was hoping he'd leave. 
Gideon went inside, and he prepared a young goat, and from it the ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on the rock and pour the broth out. And Gideon did so. Then the, angel, then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But remember, God's goal was to treat the symptoms and the disease. And so God has to begin to interact with what the real problem is in the Israelite people. And this is where the story really begins to get good. In chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, that same night, the Lord said to him, meaning Gideon, take a second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of it, this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So then Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople. He did it at night rather than in the daytime. Now remember back to Numbers chapter 25, where I began our story. The Israelites had merged worshiping God with the many beliefs of the Midianites. It had become a part of their everyday worship. Now we have to understand what this Baal worship was. Baal, the adults would gather around an altar and they would worship Baal. But part of that worship, again, remember this is going to get graphic, was that they would take infant babies and they would burn them alive as a sacrifice to Baal. And then the adults, they would celebrate this sacrifice in bisexual orgies. That's what was going on with the Israelite people. You remember the people of God that God had pulled out of slavery in Egypt, the God that had led them out through the desert and had given them everything that he had promised, that's what the people of God began to do. They worshipped other gods. And then this Asherah pole, <clears throat> it was made of wood carvings. Actually, it was very intricately carved. I was going to put a picture up of one, but it would become actuated, and we would probably get shut down on Facebook. To be very honest with you, that's what was on Gideon's father's property, this Asherah pole. The people would worship Asherah, who was considered the goddess of fertility. 
Now, some also believed that she may have been Baal's mother or Baal's lover or most likely probably both. So that's what the people of God were worshiping at that day and age. That was on Gideon's family's land. And hear what God said. Tear it down. The story goes on in verse 28. In the morning, when the people of town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bowl sacrificed on the newly built offering. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of town demanded of Joash, bring your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. They were ticked off. I have to wonder why. Well, they were ticked off because a place for them to go and worship was no longer there, but I also have to think they were ticked off because they may have liked that form of worship that they were going through. But Joash, he replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's claws? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, I love what Joash says, then he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubal Baal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Gideon's initial actions caused the Israelites to be angry. But then they began to turn back to God. But this caused another issue. Because the Midianites then got angry once again. And they began to torture the Israelite people even more. And they looked for more opportunities to overcome the Israelites. And we read on in the story. We're not going to take the time to read this. But Gideon asked God for another sign to help him overcome the Midianite army. Gideon asked for a sign that he is going to put a piece of wool fleece on the threshing floor. And he says to God, when I wake up in the morning, let the ground around the wool fleece be dry, but let the dew saturate the wool fleece. He wakes up the next morning, and guess what? The fleece was just as Gideon had asked. Now Gideon, being like most of us would be, kind of went, Hey, God, let me just make sure this is really you. I don't want to make you angry, but could I ask for one more sign? This time, let the fleece, let the fleece on the ground be dry, but everything around the fleece, let it be soaked. And the next morning, when Gideon woke up, that's exactly how it was. And so Gideon says, let's roll. 
Let's get the army together. Let's make a plundering of the Midianites after all that they have done to us. And so they began to find a way that they can overcome the Midianite army. But, as often happens in Scripture, God has another plan. Chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubal bought Baal, that is Gideon, and his men encamped around the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Horai. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into the hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Then the Lord said to him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into, the, into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. God wants Gideon and the Israelite people to know that he is in control. It is not their strength. It's not the strength of any army, but it's God's strength that can overcome. But God's plan still isn't complete because God had a plan that he was going to defeat the Midianite people in a very unique way. Do you remember this story? And this is really cool what God does. Now, the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up and go down against the camp, because I am going to give it to you in your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pariah and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So, her, so he and Parai, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern pe peoples had settled in the valley. Listen to the description. They were as thick as locusts. Their camels could be no more counted than the sand on the seashore. This is a massive army. This is a massive amount of people. And Gideon has how many? 300. You have to wonder what's going through Gideon's mind at that moment. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Now this is a Midianite having this dream. I had a dream, he was saying. 
a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. The dividing 300 into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Notice what they didn't have. Swords and fighting utensils. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and a hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in the hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpets that they were to blow, they shouted, A sword of the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bathsheba towards Zariah as far as the border of Abel Bariah near Tabith. Israelites from Nathaliah Asherah and all of Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. God sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Bariah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Bariah and they captured the two Midianite leaders. Gideon overcame so what can we learn from the life of Gideon we've read a lot of text we've heard this story we've been reminded from this Sunday school story that we probably even acted out years ago what can we learn I think there are four things the first is this God hears and responds to our cries when we think we are all alone. It's easy sometimes to feel like God isn't there. We think and we have tried and we've tried to figure something out and we go, there's no answer. And I want to remind you that in the midst of all of that, God is still there and he hears and he will respond if we'll turn our cries to him. The second is this. We talked about it just a few minutes ago. God sees our possibilities while we only see our problems. My friends, God has uniquely created you. In the New Testament, Paul says 
that we are God's workmanship, created in a unique way to be used for his kingdom. Never underestimate the gifts and the abilities that God has given you, whatever it may be. As big as it may be or as simple as it may be, every gift is unique and important in the kingdom of God. And can I say it even this way? No gift is greater than the other. The third thing I think we need to learn today is that God desires our heart without any other obstacles and distractions. Understand what the problem was with the Israelite people. The disease that the Israelites were struggling with was they had taken their focus off of God and they were worshiping other things. Friends, I don't know about you, but I think it's easy to do that today. Oh, we can come to church on Sunday and we can go through the motions. We can sing the songs. We may even raise our hands in worship. We leave here and we say, we're going to be forever changed. But then Monday comes and our thoughts and our actions go somewhere else. God simply desires our hearts. And he wants to say, I understand that you're going to be distracted, but always look to me and put me first, and I will be there. But I also want to remind you of the fourth thing, and that is this, that from the very beginning, God has always had a plan to redeem his children. From the time in the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve chose to turn their focus from God and sin, God has always been about redemption. And God has always been about bringing his people back to him. Now understand, there was punishment in the garden, but through the punishment, God began to bring redemption. And God is still about the business of doing that today. I don't care what it is that you have gone through. God wants to have a relationship with you. I don't care how far away you think you may have gotten from God. God is saying, I am there with open arms to embrace you, to love you,